1: To the show. And today, my guests are Nikki de Bartolo and Ben Heldfont. Now, the reason I've asked these guys to join us today is because they are the shining example of what a happy divorce is all about. From dinners and homework to holiday card photos and summer vacations, Nikki and Ben have created a tight knit, enviable family. They work and play well together from the smallest daily tasks to the biggest life events, and it only took them a divorce to get there. Though their marriage has been over for a decade, they still share a happy life with each other and their son Asher, along with their spouses and children. It wasn't fast and it wasn't easy, but together they created a happy post-divorce modern family. So I'm super excited to welcome Nikki and Ben to the show. Welcome guys. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: Oh, I'm super excited. I am so excited because I know a lot of my listeners are right now going through horrible divorces and the idea of an amicable divorce seems so far away from what is possible. So would you kick off by telling us a bit about your story so we can really understand the journey that you guys went through?
2: Well, first of all, I think it's important to uh, throw the disclaimer out there that although Our story as we get into it might seem absurd and so far beyond any of your listeners, especially those who are going through a high conflict uh, divorce realm of possibility, much less reality. When Nikki and I started uh, and we got divorced, we started down this path. If you had asked us what an amicable divorce meant, probably would have been that the two of us could have been at our son Asher's sporting event or school event and just been normal, not have that tension, not have that, you know, uh, palpable thing in the air that you get around when people don't get along. And so, you know, I
3: think this needs to be said, too, that when we got divorced, that didn't seem like a reality.
2: Right. Even that didn't seem like a reality. But through the process and 14, 15 years later, it's turned a corner and it's grown into something that we could never have imagined. So when we sort of talk about our story now, it seems absurd. It is a little absurd. But, you know, 14, 15 years in the making and some hurdles and some roadblocks and some, uh, you know, falling down, scraping up our knees, but getting back up and just, you know, being committed to the process. And so, you know, our story, I think, looking back on it, we met. uh, Boy
3: meets girl at nightclub.
2: At nightclub. And boy and girl start dating. Boy and girl are in their 20s. It's about that two, three year mark. We definitely Boy and girl
3: think they should be married. Right, that's the right. next step that you should take.
2: And, you know, yeah. looking back on it, we were definitely, I think, loved each other. I think we just got the in love and l- love confused and the wires meshed up. But we got married. We had a beautiful son. And then we sort of downward spiral began in our relationship and it wasn't you know the, the decision to get divorced wasn't one that just all of a sudden came up because we had a fight at, at a dinner party you know it was a process of doing the moving in moving out let's work on it i'm going to be in love with the person that i want nikki to be and she's going to be in love with the person that she wants me to be or instead of the people we were and look i wish i could say that to the beginning of that process was amicable or heading down an amicable path but it surely was not. And I left the house in very dramatic.
3: I love to say this. I love to tell people how dramatic he was. I came home one day and I found his ring with a ripped up photo of the two of us. And the ring was like sitting between the ripped up photo in my bathroom. And I was like, now that I look back on it, I get to make fun of him on how dramatic that exactly was.
2: Yeah, it wasn't my <laughs> finest moment, Sarah. Uh, it was somebody who was angry, you know, more importantly, angry, incapable of seeing anybody's fault in this ending of the marriage, except for Nikki. It was her fault. You know, I was the innocent party. I pointed the finger at Nikki the whole time. And so I was set out on a journey uh, after I ripped up that picture and put my wedding ring, a very dramatic moment. (laughs) I went out and I did some research on the best lawyers in town. I'm
3: only laughing about this now because I can't. Right. Because it's past. and right. I can make fun of you now.
2: And it was, you know, I pro- again, one of those moments that even if I could go back and change it, I, I probably wouldn't because. So, you know, I went and I called my friend who's a lawyer. I was like, who's the best divorce lawyer in town? Did my research. Right. Because that, uh, you know, I was out on a mission and uh, I hired a uh, quote unquote shark lawyer who went and, uh Mistake number one, by the way, we can get into that. Uh, But the first call was to the lawyer and I found somebody who was more than willing to tell me everything that I wanted to hear as far as what I could get or what I didn't have, you know, and just exactly what I wanted to hear. And I told him what I wanted and he said, "Okay, well, write me a check. And I wrote him a check. Basically,
3: he tried to tell you how you could destroy me.
2: It was a full out, like, you know, go to war, and it was going to be us versus them, meaning me versus Nikki, wins and losses, and that was the game we are going to play. And, you know, he wrote up this war and peace, basically, or game plan, if you will, you know, 25 pages of an attack plan on what I had asked, hired him to do. And for some reason, I carried it around, but I didn't read it, and I was on a red eye.
3: Make it known that during this process... I was not doing this. Right. I just sort of sat back. She and, was the angel. Yes, I was the angel. Like, did I know what he was doing? Is that what you asked
2: me? Yeah, uh, the, the black Oldsmobile that was following me around everywhere. <laughs> she, she was very aware.
3: No, but I just sort of sat there and said, hey, you know what? I did speak to lawyers, but I spoke to most lawyers that were like family friends. And they said, don't worry. If it comes time, comes down to it, we'll figure this out for you. But right now, just sit back and let it be. So we sort of just let him
2: well, and Nikki's also, it's important to know her personality. I mean, she is Miss Fix-It. You know, she's not a, uh, well, I don't want to say that.
3: I am she, very confrontational. You're very confrontational.
2: I mean, she's I an like Italian woman. Yeah, but she likes to fix things. And she was of the mindset from the beginning, whether we were going to get divorced or not, I think that, that how can we fix this? And, you know, looking at back first at- it
3: was, oh, we should get back together. Everything will be great. No, that's not going to work. And then it was like, okay, well, let's just figure out a way to like each other a right. little bit.
2: Right. And the the process of hiring the lawyer, getting that game plan and and then me reading it finally on the plane. You know, it wasn't that long. It was probably like a two week period. And finally I pulled it out and I read it on that plane. You know, as cheesy as this sounds or whatever, I had this moment of clarity where I got two pages. (laughs) I got two pages into it and all of a sudden it hit And I was honest for the first time in a long time in my life at that time that there's no way that this could be all Nikki's fault. In a relationship, it takes two to make it and it takes two to ruin it. But also the important thing here is I was able to tap into my growing up with my parents in a very high conflict divorce. And there I was about to read something that was going to take my son and Nikki and I on the same exact path that I went on as a kid and my parents went on as a kid and I was still like blindly it wasn't premeditated I was just so blind you know uh, blinded by fear and anger and I had the uh, the blinders on but I put it away and I said you know what I, we have to find a different way
1: we just have to you said you were the fear you were scared so what precisely were you scared of with the, cause the relationship had broken down so what were you scared of
2: Oh, I think, I mean, both of us probably had similar fears. I mean, it's the ending of a marriage. It's financial. It, it, it's romance. It's finance. It's, especially for a man, it's all the FU buttons that men have in their lives or, or the top two that get pushed. And I'm sure for women too, but I could speak to a woman, but it's, it's romance and finance. And when you have those, you know, there's a saying about what an acronym for fear is F everything and run. Right. And fear is a big part of this divorce and shame. And that's the fear that I was talking about.
3: My fear was probably different. My fear was like being alone and raising a child. What I would have at that point figured was alone, even though he had a father, has a father, (laughs) not (laughs) that. Well, not
2: quite. If I had gone down the other path, that Black O's won't be may
3: have, He may have had a father if that was hitting.
2: But no, you know, it, there's a stigma also. And that brings it into is, you know, you start thinking ahead and you get in the future and then you get in the past, you know, about what happened. But the future of meeting a woman or meeting a guy and saying that I'm divorced. And what does that mean? Like, what do they think? Oh, he's really screwed up. you know. Uh, and so those are the fear around, at least for me, the, the divorce.
3: And losing time with your child. That's a I mean, one. that's the time tr- you can never get back the time that you don't have with them. Yeah. And I've learned that, especially now that he's 17 years old and he never wants to be home. I've really learned that.
2: And screw, you know, the reason I was able to tap into and actually try to put this thing in a different direction, the best of my ability was because fear of screwing up my son's life. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, look, I'm not going to push everything on my parents because this process has made me really... I wouldn't say appreciate, but understand what they went through. They didn't sit around the table after they decided to get divorced and premeditate how they were going to screw up our lives, right? It wasn't, they didn't deal with those other issues that we just talked about.
3: That's what people need to understand is they don't know that they're screwing up their kids' lives. Yeah,
2: it's not intentional. It's not premeditated. They're just, they haven't dealt with the emotional side of all these feelings, right? That come up during divorce. And so instead they let their lawyers try to solve, uh, you know, those problems for them. Right. Or they let their uh, friends or family uh, sort of decide those things for them. And so, you know, it was one of those moments on that plane that was really a turning point for Nikki and I and uh, at least for me. And then I should did what I should have done in the first part. And uh, I got off the plane Monday. I called the attorney said thank you, but no thank you. And then the second call was to Nikki and just to let her know that I needed some time, even though she'd already given me you know, time, but that I needed some time. I needed to work s- through some of my issues before we you know, began the business side of the divorce process. And then my third call was to my therapist. And uh, that should have been my first call.
3: And I think two people need to understand that when they're going through a divorce, there's only two people in your child or children's lives. Love them. As much as you possibly can. And that's their two parents. Mm -hmm. Nobody else that's going to be around helping you through this divorce, lawyers, family. Nobody loves your child or children the way the parents do. That mucks up the water quite a bit.
2: Yeah, because they're making decisions not based off love. I mean, you know, even as crazy as it sounds, like family members or... Friends, uh, forget about the lawyers, but the judge certainly doesn't.
3: Our family and friends thought we were crazy when we, you know, came to them and said, listen, this is what we're going to try to do. Hop on because there's no other choice for you guys. And they all thought we were crazy. Our parents said we were crazy.
1: You told them that you were going to try and do this amicably, that you wanted to do it in a friendly way to look after your son, protect him and provide a, an environment where you could separate your lives. But amicably, is that was that the plan?
2: Well, that was the plan. Right. I mean, I think that what happened was that when when I told Nikki I needed time and called my therapist is I just went through a process of looking at my side of the street. Right. Looking at my behaviors, looking at, you know, the man that I thought I was and then the man that I really was. And they were completely different. Right. And so I went through this process. And then the next part of it was. The process wasn't very long because once I actually said it out loud to another person, I was like, you know what? I wouldn't want to be married to you either. <laughs> you were a jerk or you, you are a jerk at the time. But then what I did after was I felt like I needed to make amends to Nikki. And so I asked her to coffee and sat her down.
3: And- that was kind of my oh crap moment. Like, I guess I have to go. I don't have a choice. And it was like, you know, all those feelings that go through you. And, like, walking through the door of the coffee shop. Yeah, because you had going, no idea. I mean, that no, was sort I of a dick really move, know, like, looking back know on what it. what this was, like, what I was walking into. Well, I have no choice.
2: I, I asked her coffee, and I didn't do this intentionally. But, you know, all she sort of knew was the guy who ripped up the picture and put the ring in a very angry uh, individual. So, but the point of the meeting was to say I was sorry. To tell her I loved her, to say I was sorry, to you know go through the process, and it wasn't done with any expectation of her reactions, right? This was just a pure and Nikki had done the same thing, uh, and she had gone through therapy, and she had you know realized some things about herself. And so we had done that separately. Uh, How Great
3: I was. I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know the result was I, I apologized, and
3: I returned to the apology
2: which uh, w- is shape-shifting in itself yes. that we both yes. s- sat there and authentically with love apologized to each other. And so that was sort of the foundation of what we call our happy divorce now or our life today. It was accountability uh, for- and forgiveness. And-, and then, you know, after that, we set out on this path of trying to figure it out now. Okay, now what, right? <laughs> but part of that was to let people know around us, lawyers, family, friends that this is what we were going to do we were going to take control of our divorce our lives and more importantly our son's happiness
1: that is amazing because i mean obviously i run a coaching clinic where i have people coming to me all the time and i think the interesting thing here is you both stepped up you both were committed to doing this so is that the secret to this Or, or what are the secrets in in your mind having done it to having an amicable divorce
3: I mean, I think it helps when one makes the first move because I mean, well, obviously you're not going to get anywhere if one of us doesn't, but I think you have to realize that the only important thing is your child or your children. And if you don't make that move, kids can bounce back. They don't always. We learned really quick how smart kids are. I mean, Asher was three and a half when we got divorced. I mean, and he'll tell us to this day that he remembers seeing Ben's boxes, which we'd never had in the house. So I don't know where he saw them, if he saw them in a garage or what, but he will tell us to this day that he saw those boxes.
2: Yeah, in my experience growing up in a high conflict divorce, in my experience with creating something different for our son, and this is just, you know, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a therapist, it's just, you know, my experience, my uh, real life human experience is that the idea that telling yourself that the kids are resilient and they'll get over it, is just justification for behaviors and bad behaviors. Uh, that's a good point. And so, did you yes, get that on tape, I did. Sarah? I that, that she that said was, that was a good, good point?
1: point. <laughs> we've right. got it, we've got it. Okay,
2: good, it's on tape. I'm gonna put that on loop, that's gonna be a ringtone. But I think the, the foundation and the steps people, we would recommend, because it worked for us, was at the end of the day, it's gonna sound apathetic and it's actually meant to sound apathetic. Divorce is a business, right? And the problem with it is it's a business deal wrapped up in, it's one of the biggest business deals people will do in their lives, but it's also wrapped up in all those negative emotions, all, all the stuff we talked about earlier. And if you ask anybody who's been through a business deal who went you know bad or they didn't get what it, usually it comes down to they got too emotional. They let emotions get into it. They weren't able to separate themselves from the emotional side of it. And so I think what Nikki and I did and the secret sauce was, we dealt with the emotional side first. We dealt with that feelings of resentment, anger, fear, a little bit of <laughs> hatred, um, you know, and, you know, so accountability, forgiveness, and that allowed us sort of to put everything the past in the past as much as possible. That doesn't mean it didn't come up. It doesn't mean that it doesn't still come up today. Some still of the, argue. yeah. So, but you know, the secret at least for us was addressing the emotional side first and then dealing with the business side of it. Because ironically, you know, it helped us as people be happier, but it also kind of made the business side of it, business deal of it a little bit easier.
1: I mean, I love that. The secret sauce being dealing with the emotions first. I think that's really powerful because emotions really underlie all our behaviors. So if we're disagreeing and one of us is getting angry or the other one's getting sad, And I guess having been married, you knew which buttons to push as well to get certain reactions. I mean, look, at the
2: end of the day, resentment, at least for me, you know, I can just light myself on fire and hope that she died of smoke inhalation. Right. And so (laughs) you start making business. Still here. You make business decisions based off of that theory that you're willing to light yourself on fire. You're not going to have a good outcome, period. Whether you're dealing with you know, selling a, a business, a house, whatever, if, if that's the point you're coming from, then you're done. I don't know if you're done. You definitely don't have the success rate, a high success rate of a good outcome.
1: So Nikki, what do you do when you don't agree with Ben? How do you navigate that
3: difficult part?
1: I yell. I send
3: like page long texts. I wait and see how he responds. Sometimes he doesn't respond to me and I'll egg him on a little more. I mean, we fight literally like brother and sister. And you know what? And then eventually something clicks. He either just he either forgets about it or just chooses to forget about it sometimes I'll say I'm sorry, not very often. But Look, we do argue. I mean, we argue about parenting still. We I mean, we had totally different parenting styles. I mean, we argue about dumb things.
2: I think that the other thing, right, is when I don't respond, I've just made that choice. And she does it to me. Sometimes she doesn't engage me. But when I don't respond, I've made that choice. If you're playing emotional catch with somebody or emotional boomerang and uh, Sheva Gantz, who's a great uh, woman here in Florida, she always says this is that uh, you can have the choice if you're playing emotional boomerang to not throw the boomerang or not throw the ball. Right. And so that sometimes because I know Nikki, I know, you know, learn over 20 whatever years that sometimes it's better just to put down the boomerang or put down the ball and not throw back. And, you know, text message is not a great way. I don't know. Yeah. If- no.
3: Honestly, it's not. Do not text your ex. Right. Pick up the phone because so much gets lost in translation.
2: Yeah. And sometimes
3: he'll get mad at something I've said. And I'm like, well, that's not what I meant. And he's like, well, that's what it seems like. And I'm like, well, that's not what I meant.
2: So the moments come when we, you know, sort of come back to, you know, our love for each other or like each other, whatever you want to call it, is when we get on the phone, right? And we talk. And we, our whole, and maybe it was because of the time and text messaging wasn't that big. But another big thing we did was we sat across the table from each other, you know, at the coffee shop, right. making amends. We also ended up having five or six other coffee shop meetings at the same coffee shop, at the same table, going over the settlement. We yeah. just said, let's see if we can do this, right? Let's see
1: if we can. Custody, finances, the we went th- through the whole thing. And together. then we
2: handed it to lawyers and said, hey,
1: draw this up. I think it's great that you sat there face to face and did this for people out there who are listening, who are able to do that. So they're divorcing basically good people, rational, logical people. I can see how that works. But I guess there must be, I don't know, the toxic relationships where one person is never going to come to the table or maybe obviously abusive relationships. So that wouldn't be safe to do so. It's not appropriate. What do you say to that?
2: Well, I'm glad you said that, because we always do say that, you know, when I even said it takes two to make a relationship, it takes two to ruin a relationship. You know, there are some things and some situations that are outside our pay grade, actually a lot of them. But, you know, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse is just something that we need to say that that's not something we're talking about here. But I think that it's fair to say that at the point, We were probably both very toxic and very rational. And, you know, one of the things that I did, like I said, when I went in the coffee shop to make amends, it wasn't intentional. It was just to clean up my side of the street. Right. It was just for my happiness. It was for my well-being. It wasn't so we could you know, write a book 14 years later and have this happy divorce. Nikki could have thrown her coffee in my face as a reaction instead of apologizing. But at least I walked out of there and said, you know what, my side of the street's clean. I did my part. And so I think that people can have a happy divorce and an amicable divorce, even if the other person isn't on board or doesn't want to, you know, like convert, if you will. But <laughs> like Nikki said, one person and she does it all the time and I do it all the time, One, in our, at least in our relationship, can change that moment, that fight. That outcome, do I say being a bigger person, how people understand that is to just not engage, not throw back, not, you know, do all that. But there are, you know, some situations that are outside of our deal. And the other thing is important to to realize is, yeah, it sounds beautiful. This beautiful moment of this coffee shop, you know, this aha moment. We, We said we were sorry. We told each other we loved each other. That didn't make it all good. I mean, that didn't make everything fine. There was still... We had to fake it till we made it. Yeah, there was, you know, a year or two years or however long where we literally faked it. We literally would go to uh, our son's sporting events or school events and like have that smile. Like we're just going to put on our big boy pants and we're going to, you know, not hand out. We didn't
3: hate each other. We were just like, you know, we didn't exactly want to be around each other.
2: Right. And I can't tell you when it happened or when the, you know, we crossed that line, uh, invisible line into something authentic and real, but there was a lot of just, okay, we're adults. We made this decision to have this beautiful child. Every decision we've made up to this point was all ours. None of them were his. You know, why were we? We just didn't want to stick him with that emotional bill for him to pay for something he had absolutely no choice in. So that was the motivation behind faking it, right? Is just smile and yeah, yeah. Hi, Nikki. Hi. You save yeah. you a seat, right? At, at a school event, we'll sit next to each other. I don't want to sit next to her. I'm sitting like this is really awkward, <laughs> but I just sat there. Probably she didn't want to sit next to me, but yeah. we just sat there and we, you know, sort of pretended like, yeah, this is okay.
1: I call yeah. that functionally friendly. It's a it. It is. Like That's a good.
2: Backup. I love that.
1: Yeah, You just do what you have to do to get through the moment. You smile, you're surface friendly, but you can then get out there and, and breathe and let your emotions out. But when you're there sitting next to them, saving them a seat, chatting, being friendly. So your kids don't have to look well, moms over there and dad's over yep. there and it's all difficult. They then have to choose. Who do I look at first and who do I go to afterwards first? Yep. And, oh all that pressure is, is difficult. So yeah, absolutely. I love that, guys. I think, you know, you sharing this with my listeners is really going to inspire people, you know, who are in those relationships where it's conflict rather than abuse, you know, even emotional abuse. It, you know, sometimes obviously sitting down with somebody and talking, if someone's hell-bent on causing pain and misery, it's just never going to work. But if you are both decent people and you've fallen out and it's, you know, he says, she says, tit for tat, then obviously this is a, a great way just to inspire people to move through it. Now, I know you both moved on, didn't you? And you are both with new partners. So tell me a little bit about that journey and then how you overcame the dating somebody else issue and how you discussed it and then getting married. How did you broach that?
2: Yeah,
3: and that's the other thing about divorce. I I had to tell Ben he wasn't allowed to bring Diamond and Mercedes and Chandelier and whoever else (laughs) their name would be around Asher in right. the beginning.
2: Right. And this is a perfect example of like, you know, the ego. And and I think with the people, at least because I went through so I could say this from experience, that anger, that, you know, whatever it is towards that other person or that unwillingness to, you know, to not be toxic comes from ego. And when ego is hurt, especially for men, uh, we act out. And so Nikki called me and she knew what I was up to. I mean, you know, she knew that I was going to be the middle aged divorce guy. Typical. And, Typical uh, stereotype D-bag, but, and she asked me, I don't even think she told me, but she said, you know, can you do me a favor and not bring anybody, you know, that you're not serious around or serious about around Asher? Now here's the thought process, right? The difference between ego and doing what's best for your kid. First thought was who the hell is this woman to tell me who I can and can't bring around my child, my son. I didn't say that, but I, that was my first thought. The second thought was she's right. You know, she's right. The best thing for Asher is not this revolving door of said names. Uh, you know, Did women you
3: like I had a chandelier.
2: I like chandelier. Uh, of these <laughs> women, uh, you know, this revolving door. He's already been through trauma. His parents are together. He's four years old, three years old. He doesn't, you know, understand what a relationship is, or uh, at this point, and so she was right. I told her that I will. I made that promise to her that, yes. And, and and so my wife now didn't meet our son for a year.
3: And I think, you know, when both of us started dating our now spouses, we sort of made it known, listen, if you can't join this family the way we need you to join this family and accept what we're trying to build together for Asher, then it's not going to work. I mean, as much as we love you guys, it's not going to work. And both of them like went head first and said, all right, we got this. Let's do it.
2: And I'm sure for, if they were sitting here too, they would have probably say, well, I know that because we talk- Very
3: bumpy. it was very bumpy
2: and they had to do a lot of faking it until they made it too. Right. But we were committed first and foremost to our son. And again, committed to the idea of not handing him the emotional bill uh, for him to pay for something he had no choice in. So that meant who we brought into his life as our next partners, if that were to happen. And, you know, Nikki started dating somebody that we knew while, uh, we were married, you know. That's a again ego. That's like, you know, did he wait? To, you know, what's going on? Did he wait? till the body get cold, or did he, you know, just move right in? But I remember <laughs> wait, one time wait. in particular. I think it was the first time that Asher went to one. Of, or I'm sorry, Chad, who's Nikki's husband, went to one of Asher's baseball games. And I knew they were dating because she talked about it with me. And she told me he was coming to the game. I was a coach uh, for the game, and and Asher you know, ran out while I cleaned out the dugout. And, and I remember walking over to Nikki and Chad going, okay, what's best for Asher? This is not about you. And my ego, I mean, my male, you know, every male part in my body was just getting, you know, felt like it had a big weight on it because I'm walking over to this guy I knew who's now dating my ex-wife who's, you know, and my son ran over and gave him a hug right in front of me. And I'm, you know, my insides are just tearing each other apart, but I went over and I gave Chad a hug. First, before I gave Nikki a hug, you know, and and said, hey, and, you know, probably didn't really look that authentic, but I tried to be as authentic as I could at that moment.
3: But it was kind of just to say, Asher, it's okay.
2: Asher, it's okay. You know, it's okay uh, for you to give him a hug. It's okay for you to love him. It's okay. And then I gave Nikki a hug. And again, one of those small things that after time became sort of more natural. And then over time became something that was him and I are friends, really good friends now. And we do things with our son.
3: Ben's yeah. wife, Nadia and I are really good friends. I mean, she was, we worked out together this morning and then she hung around the house for the next two and a half hours, yeah. just hanging out.
2: Yeah, Which is great. But you know, there are some challenges. So we didn't
3: talk about Ben because why he's not around. Right?
2: They sit around <laughs> and talk about what the hell it is to be married to Ben. <laughs> um, but, but you know, one thing that sticks out with Chad is he called me and he said, do you mind go to coffee? <laughs> and ironically, we went to the same coffee shop, same Starbucks uh, that Nikki and I sat at. I actually sat at outside, but I don't know if it was the same exact table, but <laughs> close to the table that we sat at. And he uh, you know, wanted to clear some things up with me, and he sort of did his own amends. And then he asked me for my permission to marry Nikki, basically. He was going to ask her to marry him. And I tried, and I tried to, to talk <laughs> him out of it. I tried to give him every reason why he didn't want to do that. But, you know, that that moment I was like, you know, what? look, if I had said no, he still was going to do it. Right. But at that moment, there was probably nothing that guy could do. I mean, he got it. He was uh, on board and he understood what Nick and I were going to do. And he was going to be, you know, a positive force in Asher's life and Nicky happy, which happy ex-wife, happy life.
3: I mean, and I think, too, that, you know what people need to understand is we went from not liking each other to, you know, fast forward 13 or 14 years later to living seven houses down from each other, having holidays together, celebrating birthdays together, going on vacations together. He and I take our son on vacations together without anybody else. I would say we've come a long way, but it's taken us years it didn't happen overnight but we kept working on it we went on a vacation early on for thanksgiving which wasn't we weren't quite there yet where we realized like about a day in we're like oh oh boy this was maybe this was a mistake so we waited another few months you know try to get like baby steps and the next one was like okay we got this like this is good and now it's like nothing Like we go places together. We, you know, we see each other all the time. We have dinner all the time. We try to have dinner, you know, once a week, but yeah.
2: I mean, the whole circle of Nikki and Ben is, you know, we met each other. We, you know, I guess we thought at the time we're in love, you know, we had a good time. We laughed, we, you know, uh, did everything a new couple does, but we might've gotten that in love and love thing mixed up, but we got married. And then, you know, through the process, I don't think, you know, maybe felt, out of being in love or, you know, and even out of love to resentment, a little bit of hatred, a little bit of, you know, what dislike sort of starting back to the love part of it. Right. I mean, we've gotten back to the point where I kind of like this girl, this woman, you know, (laughs) Uh, not as my wife, that is for sure. Uh, But as my best friend and, and know that she will do anything for me a lot like when we first met. And we had that much fun together and we laughed together. And and so again, it was this circle of thing. You know, it's good to look back, you know, time is, you know, I guess the greatest judge, jury and executioner. Right. And so we can look back and see where we could have gone sideways. You know, if I had gone down that path and we would never have gotten back to this point of loving each other, of being best friends. And like we were, because uh, at some point we liked each other enough to decide to at least give marriage a shot and really believe at the time that we were going to be together uh, forever.
1: An incredible journey to go all the way around in a circle and kind of end up where you started, which is extremely inspiring, I think. Except
2: we have a bonus. We have a beautiful son. Yeah, added to the circle. So
3: yeah, and I think mean, too, a lot of people need to understand that what we've accomplished as a couple and as parents, and how easy we tried to make it on our son. What was it two years ago? You took Asher fishing, and he was sitting there having dinner with them, and Asher looked at him, and goes, "You know, Dad, this divorce is really hard on me." And of course, what went through Ben's head was like ego
2: first response. How
3: what? dare like how dare you say that?
2: The first thought was like, "Boy, you have no idea." <laughs> You have no idea. I mean,
3: people don't understand. I mean, here we did all of these things and like try to make his life as bumpless as possible. And he's still sad.
2: Right, because it's not just the logistics, right? Because the, the first reaction again, or the first thought was I wanted to say, you have no idea what a hard divorce is. But again, stop, thank, don't react on ego too much, as little as possible. But being able to empathize because of, of a person of divorce, forget about the high conflict. I mean, it's thing.
3: hard on these kids.
2: Just the logistics of going to a different house, house every other, you know whatever I mean, and we
3: didn't live seven houses down from each other we lived 15 minutes from each other
2: but forgetting your math book or forgetting whatever or your your this sneakers. is at mom's
3: house that's at dad's house I have, or one shoe's at mom's house the other shoe's at dad's house <laughs> with
2: it's our like, son that would be the yeah. case but the other thing is i but, mean he
3: did go to school one day with two, two wrong points. shoes yeah uh
2: the, but the other thing is besides logistics it, kids you know i think don't understand, and would if you would ask, talk about choices, they would want their parents together. They don't understand, I mean, as
3: much as he loves our spouses, he would probably still say to this day, Yeah, I would love my parents to be together.
2: Yeah, we sit here and we've written a book and we're talking about how great our lives are, but it, it's also important to realize that without all the other nonsense that goes on. That didn't go on uh, in our lives with the high conflict, the toxicity, the talking, you know, bad about the other parent in front of the kids. It's still at 15 years old, I think it was like two or three years ago, he opened up and said this divorce is hard on me.
1: So tell me a bit about your book. I'm excited to hear more about that. Where can people get hold of it?
2: Amazon.com, uh, Our Happy Divorce. Uh, mascotbooks.com is our publisher. And what we've done is, you know, we sit here and this would not have been possible. Just like sort of the ending of our marriage, we realized that it took two to make it. It took two to ruin it. Our Happy Divorce is based on taking two to make it. And it would never be the way it is without both of us. So that's why I convinced her for a year and a half to write me to write this book with me because I would never do it on my own. But convinced there...
3: me only because I'm a little more reserved when it comes to talking about my feelings and right. things that have gone on.
2: Uh, so it's two. For, we did did a two for one because we really would love new couples. If it's something you hear and something you want to, you know, hear more about our story, that there's a two for one because it would make a whole lot more sense for two people to read the husband and the wife. Whatever people are doing today, so that's mascotbooks.com. Whatever
3: people are doing today, Yes, it's good. Well, I mean, it's, it's true. It,
2: the, the modern family. Whether you're married or not married, you have the institution behind you. Whether it's same sex, whether it's whatever it is, it's still a relationship. And the same same so things apply. Yeah.
1: I think a lot of people will be interested to read that book. Where else can people follow you? I know you're on Instagram.
2: Everything: Facebook, YouTube, Facebook Twitter. Our Happy Divorce. How'd everything our Happy, you? our Happy Divorce uh, dot com uh, or contact at our Happy Divorce Tom, uh, dot com or
3: Nikki at Our Happy Divorce, Ben at Our Happy Divorce,
2: or DMs if you have questions. Again, we are just two people who seem to have gotten it right. So one of the reasons that we wanted, or I wanted to do this and had Nikki do it with me was our personalities, we are wholeheartedly (laughs) believe that if Nikki and I can get to where we are today, except for the, you know, things we talked about earlier, there is no reason why anybody can't do what we do. We are two class A, alpha, hard-headed individuals. If we can sit here, uh, you know, in the same room and talk about how we love each other and I think that uh, it should be able to work for anybody. And then the other thing is really, just really quick the amical divorce or our happy divorce or whatever you want to call it doesn't mean that you have to be as absurd as Nick in my life is, right? Or absurd as it might sound to people listening right now. It's it, to us, it's just about not having your kids face the consequences of your decisions, right? And so whether that looks like uh, your son or daughter or both walking over and not having that thought in the head, okay, I saw mom last time, or I went over to mom last time. Do I have to go over to dad this time? Right, like you talked about. And from somebody who was in that growing up, that isn't just at the judgment of divorce, or that just doesn't stop when you turn 18 and go off to university. You know, that is something that has haunted me, not haunted me, but I've had to deal with my whole life, right? High school graduation, college graduation, graduation from rehab, congratulations. You know, first marriage, uh, second marriage. So uh, whatever was like, where's mom going to sit? Where's dad going to sit? So it's not something that just ends at 18 years old uh, or when the kids leave the house. It's something they have to deal with the rest of their lives if they don't get it right.
1: Absolutely. Very wise words. And I think given your experience, Ben, growing up, I think that has really obviously helped shaped you and your ability to step up. Even though, from what you've both said, it was difficult for both of you to admit that there was responsibility on both sides. Get over the ego, as you said, and deal with those emotions. But it is an incredible story, and and I think it's unfortunately pretty rare that people that go from that extreme conflict can build the way back to have such an incredible you know holidays together. I mean, that is you know a grenith Paltrow conscious uncoupling right there, isn't it? A holiday- holidays <laughs> together with the exes and yeah. dinner every week at the house. I mean, yeah, you're right. I think for a lot of people listening, that will be way extreme, but if at least they can get halfway the way that you guys right. have done, I think that would help.
2: And I did bring up uh, rehab and I bring this story up a lot because I remember sitting in my, I go to 12 step groups and I remember sitting in my first couple of meetings and hearing people talk about the length of time they had sober and whether it was 30 days, you know, three years or 30 years. I would sit there and my thought was, they're full of crap. There's no way that they have been sober 30 days, much less 30 years, because it was so far beyond my realm of possibility at that time. But it gave me hope, right? It, it, at the same time, it, I kept on coming. I kept on hearing this. Maybe they're not full of crap. And then I'd get my 30 days, right? And here I am 26 years later, sober. And I'm one of those guys who are talking at the 12-step meetings about this time. And, and so I bring that up because if you're listening to this and, you, you know, you, it sounds great and you want it, but it's important to realize uh, that Nikki and I did it. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen uh, the way we even anticipated it happening, but it happened. And so just have hope uh, or, just, or at least believe that Nikki and I believe that it can be possible for you if you don't believe it right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so the last question for you guys, my podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I always think if you're coming out of a traumatic experience, you've got to aim for something, but you've got to know what that happiness looks like for you to be able to get there and recognize it when you get there. So for each of you, what is happiness for you now where you are in your lives today?
3: I think for me, I mean, I'm very very happily married and i think though in the big picture i think it's seeing the four of us together with the three kids because ben has two other kids who i've called me their stepmom because they don't know what else to figure out that i am so i'm their stepmom because asher had a stepmom so they're like well why don't we why have don't we have a stepmom <laughs> so i think for me it's us being able to sit around the table like it's normal and it's not strange and it's i i think it's a beautiful thing that our family of what's supposed to be mom dad child or you know whatever mom and dad might look like. And child, it's mom, mom, dad, dad, kids. And I think it's a beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, heartbreak to happiness is, you know, for me, happiness looks when I can live in gratitude, right? Where I can live in a space where I look at the whole picture and and I can say I'm grateful. And when I'm not happy, it looks like selective gratitude, right? I'm grateful for this, but I'm not grateful for that, right? It's I bring up, uh, you know, when you look at a masterpiece art, like the Mona Lisa, right? And sits there and goes, "Hmm, this is a beautiful painting, but that brushstroke's a little off, or this one's a little off." And you're either grateful or you're not. When I'm able to look at everything bad that's happened to me in my life, or or life quake, or whatever I've had to go through, I like there.
1: that life yeah. quake. I'm gonna, life I'm gonna use that. Right?
2: There's actually a great book on it, uh, but I read Cliff Notes. <laughs> yes, uh, but the idea is that I don't want to go back and change anything that's happened to me, and that's what gratitude looks like for me. There's no selective, you know, like my parents divorced. Today, I wouldn't go back. If you created a time machine, I wouldn't go back and change it. My addiction to, to drugs and alcohol, I wouldn't go back and change it. What happened to Nikki and I? I wouldn't go back and change it. It's this evolution of who I am as a man today. Not all, you know.
3: And you've gotten something and learned something from exactly. each one of those things.
2: Exactly. That's the idea. Is that you know I had to go through with that. What I had to go through, my parents. So hopefully, you know, I was able to avoid Asher not having to go through it. And so, you know, to me, happiness looks like uh, being able to to live in gratitude. Yeah, I do. Hard time getting to the point. But gratitude.
1: Thank you so much, guys. I mean, I think taking so many messages and inspirational ideas away, like obviously putting the kids first is something that we would hope that parents will do. But secret sauce, dealing with the emotions first, helping you get through those life quakes. I've learned a few new words. I've really (laughs) enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you so much for being guests on the show.
2: Thank Uh, thank you you for having us. And, you know, we really appreciate you sharing uh, your platform uh, with us. And we're very grateful. Hey, there it is again.
3: Grateful.
1: (laughs) That's it for today's episode. Please be sure to head over and check out our happydivorce.com and on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you can find Mickey and Ben there too. And I look forward to you joining me on our next episode.
0: That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review in iTunes will win the chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day, including exclusive one-on-one coaching with Sarah Davison herself. Be sure to head on over to -to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Sarah's gift. Then join us on the next episode.